Welcome to the BGSM Podcast. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I feel very privileged to be welcoming back Professor Fiona Bull to talk about how to stay active at home during self-isolation. Professor Bull is Program Manager in the Department of Prevention of Non-Communicable Diseases at the World Health Organization based in Geneva. She leads the WHO's global work on physical activity, as well as providing leadership for global monitoring and surveillance of NCDs and their risk factors. Professor Bull, thank you for joining us again on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. We are currently experiencing a variety of physical distancing policies around the world to limit the spread of COVID-19, which means that most people have to spend a lot of their time at home indoors. As the World Health Organization has pointed out, self-isolation means far fewer opportunities to be physically active and equally more opportunities to be sedentary throughout the day. Can you start by reminding our listeners how much physical activity do we need throughout the day? Yes, of course. Well, activity has so many health benefits. There are national and global guidelines, and we recommend that all adults achieve 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity across a week and ideally across the days of the week. For children, we have a one-hour everyday recommendation, a little bit more there as physical activity is so important for growth and development. And we also recommend that everyone, children and adults, engage in muscle and strengthening activities to increase musculoskeletal health and ensure the long-term benefits, prevention of falls, injuries, etc. So there are recommendations and they're consistent with a lot of national guidelines as well. What if we can't meet these recommendations given isolation restrictions? Well, certainly the COVID restrictions have uh, presented a new challenge for us in so many ways, but we're certainly recommending, and WHO has from the very beginning made sure that the be active, physical activity message for everyone is very much heard. We've got to look for ways to be active either inside or outside, depending on the local conditions and uh, uh, COVID responses that are in place. So inside the home, we're all looking for ways to get that 150 minutes or one hour a day. That could be by doing things if you have a garden, but if otherwise it can be in the house, looking for ways to use equipment and things around the house for physical activity. But a really good place is looking online because there's just been a tremendous growth of offerings and opportunities uh, from gyms and clubs from online service providers and even the local communities are sharing on social media how to be active. So it's about being creative. You may not be able to do the things you normally do, but look for an alternative, look at it as an opportunity and just try and be active every day. What about vulnerable groups such as adults over the age of 60, people with many chronic diseases or women who are pregnant? Well, certainly some special populations, and you've mentioned them, we are particularly concerned that this may present even more um, restraints for them being active. But the message is the same. We should all try and keep moving around the house, getting up regularly. I think one of the things we're all concerned about is not only the, the lack of opportunities to do the exercises or activities we like, but we tend to be spending a lot more time sitting Teleworking is encouraging us now to use a lot of uh, you know, time on these media for meetings, and most of us are doing that sitting. So we encourage people to stand up. And back to the vulnerable populations, really simple things, standing up, 
walking around the home, stretching, doing static exercises in place, holding on to the back of the chair, the table, the door handle to provide the balance, keeping moving. And again, I'm sure many health providers would have provided the uh, specific recommendations for women uh, who are pregnant and older adults. Try and incorporate those in your day and get your family to join in. And so they help you, you help them. Do the global guidelines have any recommendations about sedentary behaviour, sitting in particular? Well, we've got an increasing body of evidence that has showing us some of the negative impacts of sitting for too long. It's a great area of science where people are trying to measure exactly how much sitting and the impact it has on a whole range of health outcomes. Signals are that too much sitting can have negative impact, not least on the musculoskeletal, so lower back, for example, but also on cardiovascular and metabolic uh, health outcomes. Now, the science of exactly how much is less clear. So different national guidelines are, are looking at that science and trying to assess, can we yet specify a kind of hourly limit, if you will? WHO actually is also updating its 2010 guidelines and we're doing exactly the same. We've just spent the last 18 months looking at this science. We'll be launching our guidelines on physical activity and sedentary behaviour this year in October. So we will have a position on this. But right now, I think it's not only common sense, but certainly supported by a body of evidence that we should sit less and break up long times of sitting. So I hope you, Daniel, are standing because I'm standing to take the opportunity to sit less. <laughs> For those of us who are allowed outdoors, can we walk, jog or cycle safely? Yes, of course. I mean, walking, cycling and getting outdoors is really important. Uh, those forms of activity are very popular. People do it for recreation and, of course, for getting to place to place, so for transport. And there's a lot of health benefits of walking and cycling, and particularly the evidence on walking has been covered in special issues of your journal, which shows from head to toe walking has got benefits. So we do encourage, and indeed the guidelines from WHO encourage people to get outside, take their exercise, accumulate the 150 minutes a week where you can, of course, employing the um, physical distancing recommendations of one or two metres away from everyone and wearing face masks where they are required. But is physical distancing really possible in cities on densely populated walking and cycling paths? Yes, well, you raise a really good point here, and it's becoming apparent in the media and coverage of uh, recent weeks that indeed our cities are not perhaps designed adequately for walking and cycling as more people are walking and cycling due to restrictions of public transport use. It's showing that we need to really build better cities for walking and cycling. It is, of course, possible, but the more people in the environment will make it harder and maybe people will look for different routes for their trips that they wish to do and go to less populated areas where parks are available to get their exercise if they can. But I think one of the triggers here is us looking at our cities now in the light of more people wanting to walk and cycle. And that may well have some longer term discussions and benefits in the future. Are there any other silver linings in all of this? Yes, I think there are. I've never seen so much coverage, global and national, across many countries, 
on physical activity as in over the last four or five, six weeks. It seems we're really getting the message through about the role of physical activity for our physical and mental health. So one of the silver linings, as you call it, could be greater appreciation and an opportunity for promotion of physical activity to respond, the industry to respond, the healthcare system to respond, and for people to realise how important it is for them and their families to be active. I think, again, the other silver lining will be how we respond to provide those opportunities. I mentioned the walking and cycling, the physical infrastructure, the need for having safer uh, roads, so lowering speeds, less cars in cities, fantastic examples coming through from cities who are temporarily but may permanently close roads for cars to allow that facility for cycling and walking and public open space, public realm in our cities. But the other sports and recreation providers may innovate and see opportunities, how to provide more physical activities, varied opportunities in varied ways. After all, we've got a goal here to increase physical activity by 15% by 2030. And so we must see COVID as a challenge for all of us, but come out on the other side in the new norm, as we say, where people are more active and society values physical activity more. What is the World Health Organization doing to support countries and people be more active in times of COVID? Well, our first response was to ensure that within the comprehensive scope of recommendations in the early weeks, I'm referring to sort of February and early March, to ensure that physical activity, along with the other healthy diet and managing stress, parenting tips, and of course, the core principles of washing hands, physical distancing, were part of core messages to countries. We created a range of social media tiles. They are editable for translation and use in all countries, and we've been helping governments use those and incorporate those into their national messages to their communities. As we're all aware, COVID is bearing at its pace and its reach around the world. And so we're responding to those countries at different stages of their own policy response to COVID. We've also moved, though, from that acute phase and early phase to now looking at some of the research issues that are coming out, some of the questions that are being asked are we more active or less active at the moment through COVID? What are the restrictions and why, and which ones are working? What are the compliance and why do and don't people comply with some of that physical distancing um, and the restrictions around the where, time, duration, frequency, distance of uh, exercise outside? Other physiological questions and clinical questions include, if you're fitter, are you less likely to uh, get COVID? Is it less severe if you do contract COVID? And then what about recovery in those patients who have had COVID? And I've only just touched the tip of the iceberg there of some of the research questions. So this is now very important that we initiate some of those research questions now. And I'm very pleased to see the scientific community is discussing these. We need the funding to support those research projects to get off the ground. And then we need to collate. And WHO is very keen to provide a coordinating and convening role on what research questions are needed, who's doing what, and sharing the best of the knowledge so we can all learn quickly about this unusual, challenging time. What can our listeners, the sport and exercise medicine community, do to play their part in all of this? Well, this is a very good question. And of course, the uh, sports medicine community and the health community more broadly is a very important voice 
on physical activity and the importance of uh, regular exercise. So firstly, be an advocate in your community, be involved in the discussions about stay at home policies and indeed the easing of those stay at home policies. Advocate for some of the research. So it's an evidence based discussion, not uh, not solely just opinion. Uh, and of course, ensure that the safety issues of physical distancing and when and where possible and, and suitable face uh, wearing of face masks are incorporated. But also then in the clinical context with patients. Patients may be fearful now about going out. They may have reservations. Their health status may have deteriorated and they'll need more encouragement to get back to being active. So ensuring it becomes really prominent in your regular practice to patients. I'm not so much about the athletes here, but about those who are just active for health. And we want to ensure that they are confident, get out and, uh, and continue to engage in that. So there's at least two ways. And at the um, political level, of course, engaging in, uh, in the discussions of the COVID responses and, and national policy where those opportunities arise. Professor Ball, if our listeners would like to find out more about how they can be physically active or help their patients be physically active in times of COVID, where should they go? WHO has got an excellent website. It's on the front page and click on the COVID uh, clear web page button. And then you'll go to a whole stack of resources. There's a Q&A and that is specifically on staying active in physical, uh, through COVID. There's also then a supporting set of materials and those in the sport and rec industry may wish to look at the guidance from WHO on mass gatherings, which is particularly tailored to sports events and in re-easing uh, of restrictions to commence sporting activities and mass gatherings. But I'm sure your listeners would like exploring a really uh, extensive set of materials. WHO headquarters and regional office websites have got available for everyone. Professor Ball, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this BGSM podcast with Professor Fiona Bull. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends or leave us a review and connect through our social media channels. You can listen to a new clinically relevant BGSM podcast every Friday, and there is no better place to find them than on the BGSM app. As always, we hope you have a physically active day. <laughs>